0: Women's basketball is priceless, but recently we have a price tag on college women's basketball. I'm going to dive into it with Front Office Sports' very own Amanda Christovich and more in this episode of Locked On Women's Basketball.
1: For the win. Good. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball.
0: discuss regarding this deal and amanda has so much experience in all things ncaa that we're going to get into but what we're going to be discussing in full today is in this at the ncaa and espn announced an eight-year 920 million dollar extension to their current media rights package we're going to get into that we're also going to talk about gender equity or gender inequity at the ncaa level And finally, we're going to wrap things up with a travel story for Amanda, where she's going to be reporting about a case happening in L.A. about college athletes as employees. I'm Gigi Spear, WNBA beat reporter and social media correspondent for the next. And joining me today, as I mentioned, is Amanda from Fra Office Sports, based in New York City. Her work has previously appeared in USA Today and the Wall Street Journal. She holds an MS in Journalism from the Columbia Graduate School and a BA in English from Georgetown University. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. Okay, so Amanda, like I said, we have a lot to discuss. Walk me through, first of all, your timeline with this deal. I know I mentioned to you before we even started recording that I heard of your work back in March and you were talking about this deal coming up. So get into it from the very beginning, according to your perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would say that the story of this deal starts with, um, you know, the semi-bubble COVID um, March Madness men's and women's in 2021. If you remember that, um, when essentially, you know, the vast years-long inequities between men's and women's basketball and those tournaments specifically. Um, I think we're, like, exposed to the public and put into the spotlight. Um, And I think at that point, everyone started talking about, okay, well, the gift bags are different, and, you know, the advertising is different, and, you know, like, the food is different. But what became clear was that the real inequities were structural, were behind the scenes, were particularly related to revenue. And one of them was this, um, this media rights package that ESPN and the NCAA had signed that bundled like 29 championships, including women's basketball into one deal, which maybe at the time it was signed um, in like the early 2010s made sense, but it at this point clearly undervalued the women's tournament. Um, And so one of the number one um you know or most important uh items on the to-do list for the NCA was to negotiate a new deal that was going to be um more lucrative and that was going to give um the NCA the resources to invest more in women's basketball and women's sports as a whole right um so fast forward to i guess last this past spring uh, when Charlie Baker was hired as the new NCA president. um, I remember at the women's final four, he basically said, look, we're going to do you know, a complete like overhaul of our strategy here. We are going to do a bunch of like modeling and research on the best way to sell this deal. Um, So over the summer and into the fall, that's what they did. I mean, they hired a company called Endeavor to um, bring in, you know, experts. They did a bunch of analysis, a bunch of modeling. The two women that were the head of this um, Endeavor program, Hilary Mandel um, and Karen Brodkin, are like very well known in the industry and particularly have done a lot of work on women's sports media rights. And the number one question that everyone was asking that I know you know, everyone, all of your listeners were asking was, should we unbundle the division one women's basketball tournament from the rest of the NCAA sports? Um, that was like the big question. And a lot of people fell into the camp of, yes, we should because if you separate it out, then you get you're, you know, you're going to obviously be able to put a number on the value of the deal, get more money, et cetera. And then there were other people who said, well, that may be the case, but like, we need to look at all of the NCAA championships. And at this point, like women's basketball is one of the championships that's carrying all of the visibility for all of those. So we should not unbundle. We should keep them together for the good of all the sports. Um, Just quick caveat, all the sports with the exceptions of um, the college football playoff and men, the, division one men's tournament, those have separate deals. So yeah, this deal, uh, you know, came to fruition, I guess, kind of like over the winter and we all, um, you know, just found out about it really last week is when it was finalized. They decided not to unbundle, which I will get into the explanations because I asked a lot of questions about that. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we've got $115 $150 million, $115 million a year for um, eight years for 40 championships. So that's including new ones, right? Um, and then women's basketball is is valued at $65 million of that package.
0: Yes, yes, it is. And I remember back, it was Sedona Prince was posting about the inequities. And for me as a college athlete, I played softball. So that is like a whole different a whole different conversation when it comes to bundling because as we both know, softball brings in a lot of more viewers than the baseball team, but I know women's basketball is a whole different ball game. And so seeing people post about it and we could talk about the push for social coverage rather than like linear coverage of women's sports as well. Later on, I remember that being posted and it's like, Oh, okay. Now everybody gets it because I think as female athletes, we knew what it was like. And so Endeavor had actually pitched, which you reported on, that bundling could make sense. So what happened there and why was it decided that bundling made more sense instead of unbundling and letting
1: women's basketball kind of soar? Yeah. Um, So theoretically, the first well, not theoretically, I mean, like reportedly the first model that they looked at was, was pulling women's basketball out. Um, and they did, a. they did, they were like, we're not going to bore you with like the mathematical like model that we use, but we can promise you that like multiple times we did um, research on, you know, what it would look like to take out women's basketball what it would look like to take out other really popular championships like gymnastics or softball right um or volleyball also and Mm -hmm. ultimately um uh, this wasn't like Endeavor's decision right like Endeavor takes all the research presents it to the NCAA talks to media rights holders and then the NCAA makes the decision. And basically like Charlie Baker told me that he was like, look, ultimately we decided to keep them together because that was what was gonna be the best for the entire NCAA. Um, mm-hmm. That was what was able to give them all this visibility for a bunch of different sports, including women's sports that wouldn't get visibility really at all um, if they you know, weren't part of this package. And, you know, honestly, like, I think that I've already seen some criticism of that and I think it's valid, but I will also say that like, if the NCA is going to be true to what the NCA is supposed to be, which is looking out for all the sports and giving opportunities to all the sports at all the divisions at all levels, like I, I ultimately think that they stayed true to that goal with this deal. Um, Is it possible that they couldn't have they could have gotten a few million dollars more if they had, you know, pulled women's basketball out? Sure. Um, They also told me, though, that there were non-monetary components of this deal. Um, For example, a requirement for long form documentary style programming, long form journalism, which is not usually a requirement in a media deal, but it is in this one. Um, You know, a requirement that the championship games for several different championships are going to be on ABC, which is really, really, a really big deal. Uh, There are going to be 10 different selection shows for different sports. Um, That's also a requirement. Like, those are invaluable tools that, you know, aren't directly tied to dollars, but they're indirectly tied to dollars. Um, So I, I definitely, like, think... And then there's one other thing I want to add too, which is just that this media market is not the media market that it was two years ago. This is the most difficult media rights market in history, like modern you know, television history. Um, literally the Pac-12 couldn't get a media deal. Okay. Women's basketball was able to get Um, you know, a multiple of what it was the last time. So that also is a factor. Like if we were, if they had signed this deal a year ago or two years ago, it would have been different. But I think that's also important to note that like nobody is getting the money they thought they were going to get. And so what they got in this deal for 40 different sports, it's pretty good. It
0: is pretty good. And there's more to talk about I just want to mention again that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com to get your claim now. Okay, so we're talking NCA tomorrow, today, and tomorrow Howard will be back diving into one team in the NCAA and that is Michigan state with their head coach. Turning back to Amanda though, you mentioned that this is the best deal for the NCAA and there's a lot more to it that a lot of people don't know about. But what I would like to get into a little bit more in this segment too, is the tackling of the gender inequity problem at the NCAA. And you had mentioned back in March that the NCAA is has to fall under the guidelines of Title IX. ESPN doesn't, though. So ESPN is doing this deal because it makes sense for their business. So how do you think that business deal factors into this for ESPN? Because we heard a little bit about why this makes sense for the NCAA.
1: Yeah. um, And also I'll add the caveat that like the NCAA as an entity legally doesn't have to abide by Title IX, but all the schools that the NCA is part of do mm. so that's a fun little legal argument oh. that we can get into. Ultimately, though, the court of public opinion, you know, is is forcing the NCA to definitely there's you know, that it's equity. Um, so there are two things about this deal that I think are going to help with the structural issues at the NCA. The first being um, units, and in the women's basketball community, units have become. Uh, You know, the most important conversation, I think, every single time a a prominent women's basketball coach is asked, what do you want the NCAA to do to improve equity? They talk about units. For those of you who don't know what units are, that's basically uh, the NCAA giving like kind of prize money distributions um, to the division one conferences of division one men's teams that get into the tournament that do well in the tournament. You know, there's this like very specific system that I won't bore you with, but essentially that happens for the division one men's tournament. It does not happen for the women's. Obviously that is a direct revenue issue, but it's also an indirect revenue issue because like Not only are women's teams not making money from being in the women's tournament, but their athletic departments are not fiscally incentivized to invest in the programs, right? So it's direct and indirect. NCA says that this is enough money, this new deal is enough money to seriously consider adding adding units for the women's tournament. So- We've got like a year. They basically were like, we've been discussing this. Now we can seriously consider it. We're going to bring it to the membership. I think it'll take about a year for them to make a final decision. Um, If they decide against it, I will be the first to be like, what? (laughs) Like it's not a requirement, um, right? But they're saying that the deal allows them to do that. The other thing is the timing of the deal. So the deal ends in 2032, which is the same year that the men's deal ends. The men's deal is bad for the women because in addition to the media rights component, there's also a sponsorship rights component. So in order to get a sponsorship contract with the NCAA championships, like any NCAA championship, you first have to buy into the Division I men's basketball tournament in order to even be eligible for any other sport. And I don't have to tell you this, obviously that does not incentivize companies to want, you know, to be even be able to be able to afford women's basketball or softball or men's volleyball, you know, anything, right? Because it's expensive to buy into the men's tournament. And also there are plenty of brands that don't have interest in division one men's basketball, but may have interest in volleyball or softball or women's basketball. So having those contracts end at the same time allows the NCA at that point, the opportunity to reimagine that sponsorship contract. Right. Um, so I think that that is important. I think there are a lot of people who have said, why don't you just, you know, go to, um, Warner Bros discovery, cbs and say look we need to redo this now i'm not a lawyer i don't have access to the contracts but i think this is the second best thing gotcha so basically
0: if we're gonna like dumb it down too it could be like someone is going to like a shake shack and they're they want a shake for this certain amount and they want it because they like it a lot but they can only get that shake if they buy let's say the whole menu, which would be super impractical for them if they just want this one thing. So that's why it's really hard for people because of the CBS Warner Bros. Discovery deal that the NCAA already has. They can't buy just into the women's tournament, which would be practical, especially right now with all the momentum. Right.
1: Right. I mean, look, this is this is my favorite example, um, which if you really think about it, a lot of women watch men's college basketball. So marketers take note. But like, why would Tampax want to spend a bunch of money on the division one men's basketball tournament as a sponsor? Right. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe, maybe you, you could argue it does because a lot of women watch the tournament, but like from sort of like a storytelling perspective, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. But why wouldn't Tampax want to sponsor the women's tournament? Right. But they can't. They can't pick all a cart. They have to buy the men and then be eligible for everything else.
0: That's a great example. I think that's super impressive. And then it could be something that is modeled right now at the NBA, WNBA level where sponsors might want to come in just for the the W. And we see like Skims is kind of breaking the molds for both of those. There's more to come with this show with Amanda. I'm already learning so much from her. So stay tuned for the final, final segment of the show. And this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA today to get 10% off your first month. Okay, so Amanda, like we said, the gender equity report that Endeavor was using estimated women's basketball could be worth between 81 million and 112 million a year alone. So right now, women's basketball at the collegiate level is estimated at 65 million with this new deal. So where do you see this going at the end of this eight year deal? If you could predict the future right now, which I think a lot of people are probably asking you do at the start of a new year, where would you say this deal could be at the end of this eight year contract.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and just to know about that $81 million number, um, that, that estimate, which was, um, published by the NCA's gender equity report, I specifically asked Endeavor about that. And they basically were like, look, that we, our own modeling, like showed that to be unrealistic, um, first, because that report was done in 2021, not 2023, when the media market was completely different. And second, they were just like, we don't know, or, you know, what, what that was based on. But what we, you know, the information that we got was that that was overinflated. And that's not to say that women's basketball isn't worth a lot of money. It's just that, like, in the current, they they basically were like, look, your, your estimate is only as good as like, the market that you're doing the estimate in, so mm-hmm. it, like, didn't it wasn't realistic in 2023 after you know the bottom had dropped out of the media industry, um, which segues into your question because like I have no idea what things will look like in eight years, let alone in the next year, because there are so many big questions about the media industry as a whole and the rights market as a whole and whether or not money is going to come back into that, w- whether it won't, whether we're going to pivot back into, you know, more linear deals, whether streaming, which everybody thought was going to take over, is going to make a comeback. Um, but the one thing that I will say is that by valuing the women's tournament um and and telling all the journalists what that value is, right? There's a jumping off point in the future if the nca decides to say hey we we in 8 years we want to unbundle the package they'll have a number to go off of of what mm-hmm. it was worth 8 years ago if mm-hmm. they decide we want to sell a basketball you know rights deal with men the division 1 men's and women's tournaments together and then everything else they, you know, they can bundle men's and women's together. If they want to do that, they can. The fact that there is a valuation in this deal, I think is more important than bundling versus unbundling because mm-hmm. part of the concept of unbundling is like, okay, then you know what women's basketball as a standalone product is worth for future negotiations. This is what they're, you know, valuing it at now. I'm sure that Folks could argue one way or the other. Maybe it's actually 56 million. Maybe it's actually 70 million of the deal. Like, sure. Okay. I'm fine. Great. But what I'm saying is, is that the experts have said of this 115 million women's basketball is worth 65. So in eight years, we're going to take that number, right? And we're going to revisit it. We're going to compare the growth. I mean, the women's basketball, the growth is exponential. Um, right? 9.9 million viewers last year for the women's championship. That's bigger than like most of the bowl games. Okay. So that is probably going to continue to increase. Um, So I think the question isn't really about will women's sports continue and women's basketball continue to grow. The answer is yes. Um, The question is just about the sort of market factors and influences and economic influences at the time of the next deal. And like how that is going to impact the value of all sports. What a weird time to be alive. Honestly, it's a (laughs) weird
0: time to work in sports too. Nobody really knows what is going to happen next. And I want to wrap up the show with something that you're currently reporting on too. So back in 2022, the National Labor Relations Board filed this case. And the charging party is the National College Players Association, which alleged that the Pac-12, USC, and the NCAA have all misclassified USC football players and basketball players as amateurs rather than employees. And like I said earlier in the show, I remember having this conversation when I was a college athlete. And this was... One day, we're all sitting down as teammates. We're calculating the amount of hours that we spent. And compliance says you're maxed out at 20. There's no way you only spend 20 hours a week playing your sport, especially in season, and especially for basketball players who have to travel a lot to games throughout the week. So I wanna hear your thoughts on the case right now. And you're gonna be going to actually report on the case live in LA. So, yes, tell me as much as you can right now.
1: Yeah, so the short version of the story is that um, obviously this is an ongoing debate. Um, There are several different sort of like legal avenues, which various advocates are trying to get athletes classified as university employees. This is one of them. Um, The trial started in December. I was there for the first few days. It's picking back up in January. I'll be there for a few days of that. Um, and then we'll get a ruling sometime in the next few months from the NLRB, and I'm sure it will be appealed. So this is going to be, this is going to take at least a year, I would say, to get a final legal decision. And like I said, there are other courts considering similar ideas. Um, But ultimately, I think what is most important to note about this particular situation is that The argument is that division one football and men's and women's basketball players. okay, it's not just men's, it's women's, too. um, Yeah, we all know that they generate billions of dollars. Legally, though, a lot of the arguments are centered around control. And like you just said, how many hours are you expected to put into your sport? You know, does your sport control when you wake up, when you go to sleep? Um, when you take classes, what classes you're taking, what you eat, how much you weigh, how much water you drink, um, you know, when you travel, can if you go to a city for a game, are you allowed to meet your friend for coffee who goes to school in that city? No, you're not, right? I don't have to tell you that. So a lot of the question here is about control, um, and so if control enough control is exerted over athletes it's not really about how much money they generate. It's about the fact that they're being treated as as, as employees under United States labor law, right? Um, and then the other factor is that they're arguing that the PAC-12 and the NCAA are also employers so that this case would end up having jurisdiction over all of division one because the NLRB, which is something I learned working in this job on this case is that um, they only have jurisdiction over the private sector. So the public schools are, you know, if you're like a student worker at UCLA, for example, like you can't go to the NLRB to unionize because it's a public school, public institution, separate, right? But if you can argue that the conferences and the NCAA are also employers of these athletes, then that kind of, you know, is a weird little loophole. So Uh, we'll see what happens. It's very, it, it was very interesting. Not a lot of people were covering the trial in person, which was a mistake in my opinion, because this could change literally everything. And I think it's going to be the, I think that the athlete employment question is going to be the biggest story of the year. Um, but yeah, I'm fortunate that, um, you know, I'm going to go for FOS and be able to, you know, sit in the court, the little courtroom in LA and it, will hopefully be sunnier than in December. I was excited about sunshine in LA and it rained the whole time I was there for the trial. So we'll see, but yeah.
0: Everybody, I hope you wish Amanda a very safe trip and you follow her work for FOS. Amanda, I know your Twitter's listed there. Is there a better place where people could find you or is Twitter the best?
1: Honestly, Twitter is the best. Um, You can also like follow me on LinkedIn. I guess mm-hmm. we post a lot on LinkedIn, but, um, yeah, I definitely follow me on Twitter, uh, slash X slash whatever it is. I post, um, all my favorite stories there. And, um, if you go to frontofficeports.com and like, I have an author page too. Um, but yeah, I would definitely check out all the work. My colleagues are amazing. Uh, they're also doing awesome work about, the business of sports, college sports, everything. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Amanda, my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Lockdown Women's Basketball. And thank you, listeners, for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen of the day. We covered all NCAA today. And to dive into one particular team, make sure you tune back in tomorrow because Howard will be back with the head coach of Michigan State, I'm Gigi Spear. You can find me on Twitter slash slash X at Gigi underscore Spear. Make sure you check out Amanda Kristovich's work at a Kristovich with two H's at the end. Don't forget. Thank you so much. Amanda, talk to you soon and everybody have a great day.